Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. The massive explosion in Beirut has left a country that was already in crisis facing a new calamity. Joining me from Beirut is Rania Masri, a lecturer and activist. Rania, thank you for joining. First, let me just ask you to talk about how you're doing and what you're seeing around you. Um, you know, it's hard. Well, first, thank you, Aaron, for, for this uh, time. It's really hard for me to say I'm fine. I'm, I'm safe. And, and folks that I know are also safe, but none of us are really fine. We, we're either in shock or feeling a great deal of outrage over this catastrophe that was man-made. It's, it's not a hurricane that has hit us. It's not a natural earthquake, nor is it an act of war committed by an enemy. It is specifically caused by our own criminal negligence. And by our, I mean our leaders here in the country. Um, so that, that's how we're doing. Um, as for the, the state of, of the city or, or where I was during the blast, I mean, I was home. Um, my, my home is around five kilometers away from the epicenter of the explosion. It felt first like an earthquake. And then a minute or two later, the sonic boom hit and uh, the, the windows just exploded open. They, they, they didn't shatter, but just all the doors in the apartment, the windows, they just burst open and I happen to be extremely fortunate. Other buildings around me, their glass shattered. Other buildings, a few neighborhoods down, um, completely fell apart. We have around 25% of um, the capital has been decimated. 300,000 people have been rendered homeless. That's the US equivalent of around 14 million Americans. 5,000 wounded. Um, approximately 135 killed that we know of so far and that is only you know the, the human loss um, so yes all of this caused by one massive explosion of 2750 tons of ammonium nitrate you mentioned uh, political corruption and incompetence being a cause of this can you talk more about what you see as the or who you see as the major culprits here Well, let, let's backtrack so that people know actually what, what happened. So in September 2013, there was a ship that arrived at the Lebanese port. And it was one of many ships where um, the owner decides to dock the ship and not pay for his workers and leaves the ship. And so then workers are held hostage. And this happens, and unfortunately, all too often by, by lots of uh, large ships. So in this case, um, lawyers came and they were able to release the workers, but the, 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 the package of what was on the ship remained there. So since 2013, so that's more than six years, we've had 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate just sitting in a warehouse on the port in improper storage, uh, in very humid storage with lights, with electricity all around it. Successive individuals knew of the danger of this and did nothing or did insufficient uh, actions to protect the city. And we are talking not just about the managers of the port and the customs, but the court officials that knew and the ministers that, that are responsible for what is happening on the port, both the Minister of Trade, the Minister of Finance, the Minister of Social Work, and so on and so forth. For six years. 2,750 tons of ammonium nitrate were improperly stored. And as if that were not enough, they then had fireworks stored right alongside them 
in a port facing the most densely populated city in the country, you know, asking for disaster to strike. Um, appalling of all appalling statements, one of the managers of the port just yesterday declared that he didn't realize that it was this dangerous. He knew it was dangerous, but he didn't realize it was this dangerous. So an acknowledgement of, com of incompetence, and again, I call this criminal negligence because they knew of the dangers and they all decided to do nothing. So who is responsible is the political system that allows this level of incompetence, the political system that allows this corruption, the political system that does not see us as Lebanese citizens, but sees us and breeds us to be clients to serve them, in which we simply must ask for crumbs of our rights, all the while they continue to make sure that they take no decision to upset any one of them as they portion out the cheese amongst themselves. So that we would have this, a catastrophe of this size, the largest explosion in the history of Lebanon and one of the largest explosions in world history, that we would have this is, yes, a direct consequence of this political sectarian system that breeds this level of corruption, that allows this level of criminal negligence. Those are the ones that are ultimately responsible. We have their names. We have their names, but you know, holding the individuals responsible is one step forward. The second step would be building an entirely new political system. Before I ask you about what a new system would look like, let me read from a New York Times account of how officials with the court that you, as you mentioned, ignored requests um, as to what to do with the ammonium nitrate in the port. Senior customs officials wrote to the Lebanese courts at least six times from 2014 to 2017, seeking guidance on how to dispose of the ammonium nitrate, according to public records. The director of Lebanese customs wrote in May 2016, in view of the serious danger posed by keeping this shipment in the warehouses in an appropriate climate, we repeat our request to demand the maritime agency to re-export the materials immediately. And a bunch of solutions were proposed, including donating the ammonium nitrate to the Lebanese army or selling it privately. And there was another letter along with similar lines sent later uh, in, uh, in 2017, a year after this first letter. But according to the Times, the judiciary failed to respond to any of his pleas. What's your response to that? Yes, yes, the, the judiciaries, those particular judges are also responsible, but also the individuals that didn't take it to a higher level. I mean, if I know there is this ticking time bomb, there's this sleeping bomb right on the port, and I simply send requests to the judges, and that's it, and then I send another request on another request, can't I just do a press conference? Can't I take it to the minister? Can't I ex escalate? No, no. So each one just throws the responsibility onto someone else. And then I'm sure if you ask them, as people have asked them, they've said, well, it's no longer our responsibility. We gave it to the judges. And I'm sure if you ask the judges, the, judge, the judges will tell you, well, yes, we followed what was protocol and we didn't need to respond to X. We chose to respond to Y. And each of them continues to throw the responsibility forward. Just today, Walid Jumblat, you know, the real head of the so-called progressive socialist party, although it is neither progressive nor socialist, took a press conference in which he basically is presenting himself as an innocent outraged party and is holding the president responsible to this catastrophe. 
failing to recognize that one of his own crony men was one of the ministers responsible during this crisis for the past six years. So, he, you know, you have individuals, leaders who now are trying to present themselves as innocent. No, 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 I didn't know. And clearly it was them, it wasn't me, even though we know the names, we know who are the individuals that, that represent them and that are cronies to particular parties. You know, so it, it's appalling what happened today in this press conference. So we, we've, we've seen this, it's, it's going to be ongoing. And now there's calls by certain leaders in Lebanon, quote unquote leaders, of course, because they don't know how to lead, for a foreign investigation. Imagine a leader, someone who claims to be a leader of a country asking foreigners to come investigate. It is appalling in and of itself. As, and it's as if these foreign investigators are actually going to conduct an investigation and not a political tribunal, which we know that that is what happens. So now there's calls by certain politicians who themselves are also responsible for this catastrophe, but they are calling for a foreign investigative committee to come in and they are hinting that it is the other, the oppositional political party that is responsible and they themselves are innocent. You know, so, someone who made a similar insinuation when it comes to um, responsibility was Ken Roth, the head of Human Rights Watch. I wanted to ask you for a response. He tweeted this and then deleted it but shortly after the explosion. But this is what he said. Uh, because and he's saying this ahead of a tribunal, uh, an, an expected announcement in the tribunal looking into the killing of uh, a former Lebanese president, Hariri. And Kenneth Ross said this, is this Hezbollah's way of saying don't mess with us for, for allegedly killing former Lebanese Prime Minister Hariri? If so, that's all the more reason for the tribunal to deliver its verdict as planned on Friday and for pressure to be exerted to surrender anyone convicted. So this was tweeted out just very quickly after the explosion. Roth suggesting that Hezbollah was responsible for this explosion. Of course, of course, Ken Roth would like to place everything at the responsibility of Hezbollah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he will. I, the, the whole institution of Human Rights Watch needs to be investigated, not simply Ken Roth. But yes, it, his statement is completely absurd, uh, completely absurd for a number of reasons. If we look at this international tribunal to investigate the killing of, of former Prime Minister Rafi al-Hariri, there are so many problematics with that tribunal. We're talking about false witnesses. We're talking about contradictory testimony. All of this for years, by the way, it's been going on for years, paid for by you by Lebanese taxpayer, it's cost us around $500 million to conduct this false, very problematic political tribunal that they claim is an investigative tribunal. All, of course, we all know, just to hold Hezbollah responsible for you know the killing of that prime minister. Hezbollah may be responsible, it may not be responsible, but I wouldn't trust that tribunal to tell me anything at all. Okay, so then Ken Roth jumping to this assumption, again, is typical Ken Roth behavior. And, and it fits within the whole political era of the of the whole political tempo of this you know tribunal and it is necessary to understand the politics of that tribunal to then understand these individuals in Lebanon like Walid Jumblat uh, like Samir Jaja um, you know uh, right-wing leader head of the so-called Lebanese forces both of these individuals are now calling for a foreign investigation okay so we understand the politics behind these foreign investigations we understand already who they're going to hold responsible for you know, for for this catastrophe, they're all they're of course going to try to hold Hezbollah responsible. We've already seen photoshopped images of these rockets suddenly, you know, 
or, or these, these assumptions that there weren't fireworks, it was actually a Hezbollah weapons storage unit. Why in God's names would Hezbollah store its explosives and its weapons on the port when of course they would be storing them underground in different areas, but they wouldn't store it at the Beirut port. That, that's the most vulnerable place to put their weapons. But we have all of these statements coming up and a lot of it, by the way, has been supported by so-called Western media, you know, just to, to point the finger at Hezbollah because that fits within their political agenda. From our perspective in Lebanon, as progressives in Lebanon seeking to protect our country, our perspective is that all those who hold on to this political sectarian system, including Hezbollah, but not excluding all the others, they are all responsible, again, because it is this political system that has bred this kind of criminal negligent behavior. It is this political system that has bred it. So they all need to be responsible for that. Um, but Ken Roth is, is Ken Roth. If you could explain briefly what the major flaws are in your view with Lebanon's sectarian political system and what you want to see instead. You've been a longtime advocate of dismantling the sectarian distribution of power inside Lebanon. Well, again, I mean, let, let's think about what we want a democracy to look like. A democracy would be one in which individuals are treated as citizens, where my ability to be represented is not bound by the religion of my great-grandfather or the religion of my husband should I choose to marry. Okay, none of this respects my constitutional right to believe in God in the manner in which I choose or may not choose to believe in. The, these are caste systems in which we are born and they then determine every aspect of our life from public office to marriage and child and child in, in custody and inheritance to public positions to how we even elect to where we can even live okay so we are not even looked at as citizens we are automatically looked and placed within these false communities otherwise called sectarian communities which folks in the west by the way the US and France and they they love this representation oh look Lebanon has 18 communities coexisting I'm sorry, since when is a religion a community? A religion is a way people choose to worship. It is not a community in and of itself. It doesn't, doesn't make up a culture. It doesn't make up an ethnicity. It doesn't constitute a language. It constitutes a personal decision about worship. That's it. It's just that big. You know, particularly in Lebanon where people change their religions out of marriage or out of faith or out of a number of reasons. My family, for example, we have the major religions all within the same family. So the moment you have this political system where we are not citizens, but we are members of a sect that claim to coexist as if we're not all members of the same country and of the same nation, it breeds the system of government where then individuals that are so-called elected cannot represent the poor and the rich and the working class and the farmers and the industrialists. No, no, they can't do that. They have to represent the Shia and the Sunni and the Maronites and therefore they deny every quality of citizenship. They deny the mere concept of communities because they throw us into these false homogeneous places called sects. And then they have to, to hold on to the sectarian thinking, they have to pit us against each other. So then there becomes something called the Maronite political system, you know, or how do the Shias feel against the Sunnis and so on and so forth. And we're no longer individuals, nor are we citizens, nor are we members 
members of a nation. We're forced into these closets and bred false narratives as to who we were and who we are and who we could become. So these become not simply the recipes for a false democracy in which really nothing is represented and no one is represented, okay? But it also becomes the very recipe for division within a country and it creates a recipe for corruption and clientelism. This political system also by design cannot allow us to have our civil and human rights. By design, it does not allow for universal health care. By design, it does not allow for proper public education because these sectarian leaders must maintain their status as, you know, as providers of services. So if I can get universal health care provided by my government, why should I go knock at the door of this sectarian leader to give me access into a hospital? I don't need him. I've got universal health care. So all of these sectarian leaders, they have always worked together against universal health care. They've always worked together against public education. They've always worked together to destroy our functioning only a public university in the country because they need to maintain their own clientelistic attitudes and their own clientelistic services. So consequently, we don't end up with a state. We don't end up with a nation. We end up with this divided viewpoint as to who we are leading us to a state where, you know, to, to a situation where leaders simply cannot make decisions, leading us to this economic bankruptcy that we are in today, okay, that they cause deliberately either by their inability to make a decision or by their particular political philosophy to breed beggars and to build crumbs and to continue to have an economy that is pure consumption and no production. Okay, leading us to this kind of catastrophe where no one wants to claim responsibility and they want to throw it on each other. Okay, and all of these political leaders end up not only hostage to these false representations of who we are, but also hostage to outside forces. So each one of them must stand on the coattails of a foreign country, either the United States or France or Turkey or Saudi Arabia or Iran and so on and so forth, leaving us as a country with the political mindset, and imagine this, for decades, these political leaders have taken a position of not, not taking a position. They have taken a position that we must be neutral when it comes to foreign policy, and we must not take positions. So our, our governmental position on Syria, on the war on Syria, is we don't have a position. It, it is absurd. It is truly absurd. And the same manufactures itself domestically. So, of course, this political system has to go. And it's important to recognize that this is a political system that has been maintained by the United States, maintained by France, maintained by other Western powers. And it is the political system that the U.S. has been trying to, you know, recreate in Iraq. They were trying to impose it in Syria. They want to impose it in Libya. It is the recipe for disaster. And it is in no way a democratic system. What we are calling for, and many others as opposition political parties are calling for, is true representation, where individuals have a direct representation with their government as citizens, not as members of a sect, not as members of a tribe, not as members even of a political party, but as citizens, the very basic aspect of democracy where we build citizenship. And once we build that, then we can determine, do we want a socialist kind of economy? Do we want a capitalist kind of economy? But at the very basic, we build the foundation for a state and the foundation for a state must be citizenship. This is what we are lacking in Lebanon. And this has caused 
this kind of, cat of a catastrophe that we've seen today. It also bred the wars that, that we've been having, where we simply don't exist as citizens. You mentioned Syria. The U.S. recently imposed its harshest sanctions on Syria to date under the Caesar Act, and that was already having an impact on Lebanon. The port of Beirut was one of the ways in which the U.N. got desperately needed aid into Syria, and now that is destroyed, which makes aid delivery to Syria even more difficult. And of course, on top of the difficulty, as a, on top of the difficulties of bringing supplies into Lebanon, which imports more than eighty percent of its food what is and of course the border with israel is non-existent because of the because of the state of of, of hostilities between uh hezbollah and israel no no because enemies, and not not about hezbollah we are really enemies and and we by the way i i have to say this for us to build our state because we want it to be a civil state where we are treated as equals as citizens and not as sects we therefore have to be enemies with the state of israel because israel has this concept of, of zionism which is a concept not only of a settler state colony but also one in which you prop up one community so to speak so you you, you have it's an apartheid settlers that by design encourages sectarian statelets around it and therefore by design the existence of a civil state in Lebanon would be a threat to Israel and vice versa their existence as a settler state Zionist state a settler state apartheid state is an existential threat to our existence as a civil state in Lebanon and that is why we are enemies so the border between Lebanon and occupied Palestine is way bigger than, than the, the situation between Hezbollah and Israel. Right, and you have hundreds of thousands of Palestinian refugees inside Lebanon, and Israel has, as we all know, invaded and occupied Lebanon uh, multiple times for the last uh, four decades. Let me ask you about Mike Pompeo. He called the former prime minister, Saad Hariri, but not the current prime minister, um, after the explosion, what do you make of that? I found that to be typical because, again, um, Saad al-Hariri, Walid Jumblad, Samir Jaja, all of these individuals are within the U.S. camp and the Saudi camp, which is basically the same camp. Okay, um, And they're trying to present this government, which is Hassan Diab, he is the current prime minister, they're trying to present this government as if it were a Hezbollah government and not their government, even though, of course, they, they all agreed on, on this facade of, of a Hassan Diab government. So this is an attempt by the U.S. administration to propel up a former prime minister and dispel a current prime minister. Um, it is typical uh, activities on, on behalf of the U.S. And of course, they would prefer Saad al-Hariri because he's an easier puppet for them to, you know, to, to play with and, and to move into their corner because Saad al-Hariri has typically been a representative of Saudi Arabian interest and of U.S. interest in the country. And not none of them, by the way, have been real representatives of, of Lebanese interests per se, because none of them have been really looking at Lebanon as, as, a, as a country. But not only is it a deeply political uh, problem when, uh, you know, you have a representative of one country failing to speak to a representative of another, but actually speaks to a former prime minister. Not only is that politically very problematic, but it clearly shows where the U.S. is standing and that the U.S. wants to see the downfall of, of this current government and you know to propel one that would be easier to maneuver again i'm not saying i'm a favor I'm, I'm not in favor of this government in any way shape or form it is a facade government that has done absolutely nothing in this worst time in, in lebanon's history which is the time of a bankruptcy but it was chosen because it can do absolutely nothing 
you know, they, they, they continue to, to fulfill this vision of theirs of, of incompetence and impotence. We're going to wrap. How do you see the neighbors around you responding? How are people coping? What are they doing? And just what are you expecting for the next immediate future? What, what is Lebanon going to be facing? We've been getting, you know, several planes of, of support. They've been setting up field hospitals. We've gotten um, the countries that thus far have either sent us planes or, or will send us include Russia, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Qatar, the Emirates. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing a few. So they're setting up field hospitals. It'll be a little bit of a bandage in the meantime. But again, we're dealing with a catastrophe that is unimaginable. I mean, we've lost the majority of our medicine again at a time when we were already in a medical shortage we've lost the majority of our grain at a time when we were already facing a shortage we have a five billion dollar loss in infrastructure again when we are already bankrupt um, we, we have no financial means to to rebuild um, and we also let us add to all of this problem that we also still have the covid pandemic affecting us and now our hospitals are even more to the limit, not to forget the fact that we already had several hospitals that were destroyed or rendered incapable to, to maintain themselves because of the blast. So the situation cannot be worse. And I, I, it scares me whenever I say that because then I'm afraid that something even worse could happen. Um, we don't know how we're going to be surviving the coming months in Lebanon. We simply do not know. The mood is one of extreme outrage. And I'm hoping that we can be able to organize that outrage and direct it towards political clarity and direct it towards a new form of government, one that will not continue to cause us to live, you know, by chance, but rather cause us to live with a semblance of dignity where we actually have a state and a nation. But it is beyond tragic right now. Rania Masri speaking to us from Beirut. Thanks very much. Thank you.